Thank you. Here we go. New sermon series. We're starting today the book of Ephesians. Um, I know that's a long little subtitle there, but I'm going to read it. Uh, it's called Reconciling All Things in Christ. We're going through the whole book of Ephesians in the New Testament. The book of Ephesians is the church's guide for understanding and responding to the gospel of Jesus, the crucified and risen king of the universe. I know that sounds perhaps almost grandiose, and guess what? It is grandiose because that's how the Bible talks about our risen Lord. And so that's what we're going to be walking through for the next, I think it's 10 or 11 weeks up until now in Christmas. And I'm really excited about it. Um, before we begin, I want to talk about one of my favorite movies when I was a kid, uh, the movie Hook. Anybody remember Hook? There we go. Yeah. That was out 30 years ago. Isn't that crazy to think about? 30 years ago, Hook came out. There's a scene in that movie that I think is going to really set us up well to understand what we're walking through in the book of Ephesians. Um, it's Robin Williams. He, he portrays, you know, if you know the story, I'm walking through it. You know, he portrays Peter, this middle-aged kind of wealthy business executive who is constantly stressed out and constantly working. He has a very strained relationship, therefore, with his family. Uh, having grew up in London as an orphan, uh, in the movie, he brought his family uh, to pay a visit to the woman who had adopted him, the lady Wendy. Um, and if you know the story, during the visit, you know, the evil Captain Hook came and stole his children away and left a letter saying, come to Neverland and get your children. But there's a scene after all of that with the children gone, and uh, Wendy is trying to get Peter to understand what happened. As she kind of inquires to his memory of his childhood, she keeps asking questions, and he doesn't have answers. He couldn't remember uh, who he was before a certain age. There was just no, no memory. Uh, he had forgotten much of his childhood, thus leading up to the scene, which is really, uh, it was a great scene, um, you know, dramatic music playing. It's just a great scene in the movie. When uh, she finds the classic book, you know, Peter Pan, and she opens up the pages to a drawing, like an artistic drawing of Peter Pan, and she looks at Robin Williams, you know, Peter in the eye, and she says, Peter, don't you know who you are? As he had forgotten his entire memory of his past adventures as a boy in Neverland, right, he had forgotten all of it. And in some ways, that's the question I'm posing to you today. Don't you know who you are? As this is a season of identity as a church, of really revisiting those big questions as Emmanuel Church, you know, who are we as a church? What does God have in store for the church? What has he called us to do? Who are we as Christians? Have we perhaps, as Christians, we need to be reminded once again of who you really are in Christ or as a congregation? Ephesians, in a way, gives us these answers from like 30,000 feet. And rather than approaching the book of Ephesians as a letter uh, kind of full of just like, you know, doctrines to kind of, you know, surgically kind of walk through, I'm going to walk through it as if it's a story. Because it is a story. It's a story of God's salvation in Christ by the power and blessing of the Spirit. And how he has pulled us into his story that he is still actively writing and building to this day. And it is about how you and I are to live out our parts in this story and how we are to do so. And as we do, we will learn who God truly 
is and who you truly are as well. As Wendy asked Peter in that movie, that, that question looms before us, don't you know who you are? And my prayer is that by the time we're done with this, you will have a foundation built for being able to really answer that question, have it really truly transform your life as a result. Because I will venture to say this, that you've probably forgotten just how big the story of this book really is. Uh, you've perhaps forgotten or don't even realize the scale of the story of God's working in history, its massive implications for our lives and for all of human history. And you probably don't fully realize the, the, dramatic, the dramatic role that the church plays in it, even this church as Emmanuel. Uh, Timothy Gombus, he's a professor of New Testament at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. Here's how he sums up this book of Ephesians. Listen to this. Again, grandiose words, but I'm telling you, it's, it's accurate. This is a story that we're about to walk through today. He says this, the book of Ephesians is a drama in which Paul portrays the powerful, reality-altering, cosmos-transforming act of God in Christ— to redeem God's world and to save God's people for the glory of his name. Real, reality altering, cosmos transforming. Those are appropriate words to describe what this book is really about. So before we dive into our sermon today, a few little introductory matters to help you understand exactly what the book of Ephesians is. It was written about 60 AD, so think about 30 years or so after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Paul was in jail when he wrote this book, imprisoned up in Rome. And this is really important too. Anybody from the south in here? Is it just me? Any southerners? A couple. Um, the word you in the whole book in the original language is plural. The only way to say that in our English language is what? Y'all. That's right. So don't read this necessarily. It certainly includes you, but it's really important, I think, that we recognize it says y'all because your life in Christ is not to be divorced or separated in how we live it out apart from those around you. God has not called you. He's called us. That is very important to remember, and that's what this book addresses the whole time. It addresses y'all. So my southern draws going to come out this morning, and that's okay because that's, that's what the book is. Um, and finally, this letter is a letter to the church in a place called Ephesus, hence the word Ephesians. Ephesus, I should have put up a map. I thought about it. I forgot. It was a uh, really huge ancient city in the empire of Rome. If you think of modern-day Turkey, where that is, like in the middle of Turkey, right on the water there. There are certain cities all surrounded Ephesus, a city called Colossae. And if you read the early uh, chapters of the book of Revelation, some of the churches mentioned there, Smyrna, Philadelphia, and the others were located very close in that region. And the region was called Galatia. We have a book called the book to the Galatians. Um, there's a bunch of early churches in Turkey. That was kind of the, the, one of the birthplaces of Christianity for the early churches. And this book not to get into it, but, you know, for a different time. It wasn't just written to the Ephesians. It was kind of meant to be passed out to all of these early Christian communities. So it's not necessarily specifically for Ephesus. It really was for them, but it's also for others. And I think it's not too much of a stretch to say that if Paul had all the early churches in mind, then 2,000, later, 2000 years later, the Spirit may also have us in mind as we read this book. 
Okay, so enough of the introductory matter. I'm going to read everything that we're going to be walking through this morning. You guys ready? So if you have your uh, Bibles, feel free to turn to, pay, uh, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. We're doing 14 verses today. That's page 1156, if you have these Red Pew Bibles in front of you. I'm going to read through these 14 verses, then we'll pray and we'll start. This is a word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation for the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Hence, while we're calling this sermon series, Reconciling All Things to Christ, that's what the end of times is really about. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. It's amazing stuff. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that you would open up our hearts, the eyes of our hearts, to see these words, Lord, not to get lost in the minutia, but Lord, to see the big picture that you are communicating in this amazing amazing portion of scripture. God, I pray above all that whatever words are said this morning, that you would be lifted high, that we would see you. And Lord, that if we have a small vision of you or a small understanding of who we are or a small understanding of this church and the mission before us, Lord, that that would be exploded this morning and that we may see the full picture of what, of who you are and what you have called us to do and who we are as your children. Open up our, high, our eyes, Jesus. Give us ears to hear you this morning. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So verse 1, as Paul is writing, he says, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's writing as an apostle 
of Christ. He was made an apostle, he says, by the will of God as he is writing to these saints in Ephesus. Uh, Grace and peace is a very traditional kind of blessing from those days, and it kind of sets us up in a great way for all that is ahead. And just to kind of understand why that that whole part just kind of read a little funny, In English, you read that, like it sounds very like complex and just like a lot of big words and like I got a little lost in there. When Paul wrote it in his tongue, it was a 220 word sentence, one sentence. Imagine an English class, you writing a 220 word English sentence. For those of you in high school now, if you turn in that paper, your teacher would be like, uh-uh, you take this right back. You write that up in the paragraph, son. What are you doing? Right? We, don't, we, can't, we can't do that in our English tongue, okay? And so, so it reads a little funny, but this is a beautiful, almost poem kind of prayer from Paul that more than likely he had to write and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite to perfect as a poet would because it is a beautiful portion of Scripture. So yeah, we have it you know, broken up into sentences in our Bibles, but no, this is a one long, beautiful prayer poem poem, also kind of a song in many ways, singing out the work of God to be heard in these early churches. And here's what we discover, uh, God's story in these as he has worked in humanity. Kind of the background noise of all that Paul talks about here is God's story and his redemptive work in history and how he has pulled us into his own. We will be looking at three major parts of the story as we sort of kind of retell this story together as a church. We're going to look at part one, the blessings of being known by God. Number two, the revelation of God's redemption in Christ and the final plans for all things. And number three, the promise of our inheritance as sons and daughters of God our Father. We call him God our Daddy. So part one, the blessings of being known by God, beginning in verse 3. It says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. He says, praise be to God, the Father of Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with what? He says, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms and the heavenly places in Christ. What does he mean by spiritual blessings? Sometimes in you know, modern times when we think of spiritual, we think of like immaterial things that you cannot really see. But Paul's not really talking about it like that. He is talking really about the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity, because Paul is addressing the fullness of what we call the Godhead. God is three, yet one as we know. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Through the Spirit, he has blessed us with heavenly blessings. Meaning that if you were in heaven right now, and with all the blessings that you would receive there, even now you have access to those blessings. That's what he's saying. Even now, through the Spirit, you have access to these spiritual blessings. And he's about to get detailed in what those spiritual blessings are in the next section. But how do we respond to God's work? How how do we respond to God blessing us? The scriptural pattern is we bless him. That's the pattern of the Bible. When God works in your life, 
you don't ignore it and blow it off. No, you get on your knees and you say, God, thank you for what you have done in my life. Thank you for your work in my life. It is reciprocated, right? We give it right back to him and say, Lord, we bless you and we love you, God, our Father. We also respond in holiness to live blamelessly because it can be argued this morning that if you want to experience the heavenly blessings that are already yours, like they're already in your lap, if you're a Christian, you already have them. They are cultivated as you walk a life that is holy, however imperfect we are. We cultivate those blessings deeper in the experience of those blessings as we walk a blameless life by the aid and the help of the Holy Spirit. Those are the pathways of heaven itself that are brought before us that we cultivate and we groom to experience what the the fullness of God has to offer to us today through his spirit. Yes, God has blessed us and we bless him in response. God says, before this world even began, I have set you apart for this. Yes, Paul says that in love, God did this. That God has not only destined us for this, but he predestined us for this. I won't get into a debate about free will and for you theology nerds out there this morning. That can be for a different time. Give me a call, we'll have that argument. But the way scripture talks about these kind of ideas of predestining or a sovereign God knowing things before time began, right? Nobody in 2,000 years has come up with a, a great way to like break that down. Like, how does that work? And the answer is like, I don't know. All right, it's complicated. That's what we do know, okay? We have a responsibility as Christians and God is completely sovereign. How those two, two, two things intertwine, I don't know, but they're both true and we preach both of them as if they are true. But it says this, that his foreknowledge of you, his predestining of you for these things, it was done in love. Because his sovereignty is one, it's a message that is comforting for us throughout the Bible. I think in America sometimes, the you know, land of the free, right, we get obsessed with, with freedom and sometimes we forget that the, the freedom scripture talks about is actually a life that is within the restraints of God's plan for us. And he says, in that restraint is your freedom. In that restraint is your true freedom because I have foreknowledge of all things and within the life that I have mapped out for you, There is true freedom when you embrace it and when you enjoy it and you live that out. Then you will experience freedom from sin and the slavery of sin and all the brokenness of this world. Now, that is true freedom and that is a comforting message, is it not? Even more comforting is that we are chosen by God to be adopted as sons and daughters. That word means both sons and daughters because it pleased him. Like God was pleased to say, yes, I want you to be my sons and daughters. It makes me happy to see you and to bring you in as my sons and daughters. It makes God supremely happy to grab us and to bring us into his family. And such an adoption is only by grace. Grace caused him to do it because we don't deserve to be part of his family. We don't deserve to have God as our daddy. If all of us were just honest about all the stuff that we've done in life, right, we know that we're not worthy of this. But God says, I, I know that too. That's why I sent my son to do something you could never have done. 
I washed away those sins, and I am unleashing grace on you to be my sons and my daughters now. Now, some of you, when you hear those words, I know a lot of your family stories in this room. Um, uh, Some of you, when you think of being a part of a family and having God as your father, maybe you don't initially have the nicest of thoughts. Maybe some of you do. I have a dad. He's maybe even watching now down in Georgia. Uh, Him and my mom, they loved us. I had somewhat of an idyllic childhood. We had a creek and acres of land and the pasture behind our house with cows. We used to shoot with BB guns and we just had a great time. And my parents loved us. And it was, they weren't perfect. Of course not. But we just, I had kind of that kind of childhood that you read about in books like I really did. And I I didn't deserve it, but I had it. Some of you don't have that story. When you think of the word father, you wince a little bit because of the dad that you had or the dad that you didn't have in your life. Statistics show that as time rolls on, there is more and more stories of broken homes that are happening at a higher rate, divorces and abuse and the other ills that come living in this broken world. So when you think of God as your father, you may initially think of a mean daddy or an abusive one or an emotionally separated and distant father or one that you even never knew. Church, I want you to listen to me. If you have spent your life longing for a real daddy, a real father in grace through the gospel, you have one. And you have access to him even now. In fact, he's thought about you and loved you, says Paul, before time began. My dad has a good memory, but the joke in our family is we usually call one another a day or two after the birthdays. Like, isn't it your birthday week? Yeah, two days ago. Oh, happy birthday. Like, we get it pretty close. We do, it's kind of the joke in our, fam- in our family. But God doesn't have that kind of memory. He has known you in every single thing that you are and who you are before time began. And those are meant to be comforting and loving thoughts because even though he knows all of you, he still loves you. Do you know that, church? David said if we could count up the thoughts that God has toward us, he said it would be like going to the beach and trying to gather up the sand and counting each individual particle of sand. You can't count them up because his thoughts towards you are unfathomable. His love as our daddy is truly unfathomable. So if you are a Christian this morning, and if we are to address this in like story form is what I'm trying to propose, I want to read these five verses in story form. It sounds something like this. Before the first clock could count the first minute of our existence, the fullness of God, all of him loved you. Through his son, Jesus, our Messiah, he has unleashed his spirit, giving you the blessings of heaven even now. Because you are a sinner, you did not deserve this, yet it pleased him to do so. And now we who once had only imperfect earthly families are now part of a global family with the best daddy in the world, God, our father. And we cannot help but praise him. We cannot help but love him and walk in the unique ways of heaven even now. We've only started, guys. We have a lot more to go. So let's keep going, picking up as we tackle point number two and verse number six, which is revealing God's redemption in Christ and the final plans for all things. Picking up midway through verse six, on the topic of his grace, he says, his grace which has free, he has freely given us in the one he loves, that is Jesus. 
In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all the wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times had reached their fulfillments to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. So I want you to think of the best book the best story, the best movie that you could, you, you've, you know, the one you've, you've watched a hundred times that you know like every other word to, or the book that you've read a hundred times, right? Uh, the most creative or interesting story, the happiest, the most unique story that you love just revisiting over and over and over, that one movie that always grips you when you watch it, and that tear's like, oh, I'm crying a hundred times, like that kind of movie. What is that for you? Picture that in your mind in our house. Um, uh, it's the Chronicles of Narnia. Like, every time a kid gets to be seven or eight, we read that, and they're just like, stop, don't stop reading, keep reading. Can we stay up all night and read? Can we just keep reading all the Narnia books? They, they love them. They love those stories. It's on repeat, and I enjoy reading them. I think I've read the language and the wardrobe like 20 times at this point. And it's still a great book. It's wonderful. And then after that, it's Lord of the Rings trilogy is in our house. My daughter Lydia is reading that now. She's like, I already finished the first book in like a day. And I'm like, that's like a thousand page book. How'd you do that? But that's what she did, right? And the stories are on repeat in our house and they love them, right? Uh, whatever that story is for you, it is only a mere shadow, a tiny glimpse of the greatest story unleashed to us and given by God who crafted it, created it, acted it out and accomplished it with all wisdom and all understanding. If there's any good part of a story that you like to watch, it's only because some of that story tells you a little bit about the gospel, right? Because the gospel is the greatest story ever told. And this story goes like this, that we have redemption. That is purchased language. We've been purchased from the chains of this world of sin and death by the blood of Christ unto the free Freedom of forgiveness of our sins. Friends, if you are forgiven of your sins, you are not just forgiven, but you are cleansed from your sins. If you've walked in here just bowed down in guilt because of the weight of your sins that you just have not fully faced with, I'm going to tell you, you forgot the story, friends. Like you forgot the story. If you're in Christ, you've forgotten who you are. As that question looms, don't you know who you are? You are a forgiven and cleansed child of God. All according to God's grace. And it says that he lavished on us in utter abundance. I love this idea of lavishing. It's uh, years ago. When my wife and I, we were just, we were broke as a joke, and we shared a car, a 2003 Suburban. They looked great from the outside, and it was in decent shape, other than it had a mystery transmission problem that for like four months, almost no mechanic in the state of New Jersey could figure out. I'm not even kidding you. We had it towed to like eight shops, and they were like, I don't know. And finally, I found a guy who figured it out. Okay. The bill was ridiculous. It was high, and we, we didn't have any money, and we got the bill, and we were like, I guess we're just going in debt. I don't know what to do. 
but we need a car. We were borrowing a car for like four months, all right? A family in our church, they heard that news and they wrote us a check. It was for the amount, plus some. And I don't forget, in my office, I sat there, I was in pastoral ministry at the time, they wrote me the check and I was like, oh, this is uh, far too much. And they said, I know, I know it's far too much. They lavished blessing on us. They gave us what we needed, plus more. That is what Paul is saying. We got what we needed, forgiveness of sins, but he lavished even more on us. He saved us, yes, but he lavished even more on us. His grace is far and obscenely beyond anything that we even needed or even could conjure up or think about. He lavished his love on us. This is what Paul means by that word. And then here comes the cool part, the apocalypse. When you think of that word, what do you think? You know, like stars falling from the sky, you know, revelation, like an end of the world. And I guess it kind of refers to that. But Paul uses the word here when he says, um, uh, uh, he uses the word apocalypse when he says that, um, now uh, in verse 9, that he made known to us. It says that he apocalypsed the mystery of his will. It's like, what, what does that mean? He apocalypsed the mystery of his will. It means he revealed. It means something was hidden that has been uncovered. Like the Wizard of Oz, right? The man behind the curtain, when that was discovered, that was an apocalypse, all right? The truth was revealed. The mysteries of God from ages past was revealed in Christ Jesus. All the things that he had been laboring towards in our, in the Hebrew scriptures and now what we call the Old Testament was revealed in Jesus Christ. They were all centered on his son and that thing, that plan, that will is still being revealed even now. As each day is passing by, as we continue to live our lives, we get closer and closer. As that curtain keeps being pulled at, pulled back, as we see more and more of God's active work in your life, in this church's life, in the churches that surround us. As that curtain keeps being pulled back, we are reaching the climax when uh, Paul calls it the fullness of time. When everything, like what's included in everything, Everything, all right? You can't find a word that's bigger than that. Everything beneath heaven and earth comes together and is united beneath one king, Jesus Christ. That is the culmination of history. And we are on the road to that culmination even now. And we all, Paul is implying here, you have a part to play in that plan. And God's foreknowledge and predestining work, he says, I'm going to push you here and position you. I have something for you. Because I have a grand plan that involves the universe and involves the, the whole scale of history, but there's something for you in that as well. I need you as a part of that story. I want to use you as a part of that story. It's very difficult how to put into words how hopeful these verses really are. I mean, we know this world is a broken place. We all carrying around our brokenness. We've, many of us have brought the brokenness we carry even unto this room. And we know the world's a crazy place. I mean, it's been crazy in times past. Thankfully, there's no like world war right now, but it's still kind of crazy out there. There's some wild stuff going on, right? But we read that there'll come a day, you can read about this actually in Revelation 20, uh, 21, 
when the new Jerusalem city comes down out of heaven and it meets earth and they come together, when sin and death will be cast away from this world forever and ever, when he says, I am going to make all things new, that day is coming, friends. Do you have hope? Does that, does that provide hope for you? You should hear that and say, oh, like that's, that's actually happening? Yes. It's called the fullness of time. It's happening, and it will. As Jesus once said, he says, in this world you will have many troubles. But he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. We're on the back end of our sermon now as we start to close up. Paul gets a little specific here on these final verses. He switches it up a little bit. Um, when he says, he says we, then he says you. And I'm going to break down what he means by that beginning in verse 13. When you hear you, remember, what are you hearing? Y'all, that's right. In verse 13, he says, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. This is an important element of this grand story that we're walking through this morning of God's work in human history. Paul says that we were the first to hope in Christ. And most people agree that uh, they're smarter than myself. We here refers to Israel. Paul was Jewish. The Jewish people were the first to receive the gospel, the good news. Jesus himself came as a son of Abraham, as part of Israel. Jesus began his plan of redemption first among the Jews. And it wasn't until really after Pentecost when we learned that this plan wasn't just for Israel. It was expanded to both Jew and Gentile and non-Gentile or non-Jew, all those amongst the whole world. Uh, so this is in the beginning of verse 13. This is the promise of our inheritance as united sons and daughters, our final point. It says, and you, so Paul says we were the first to hope. In verse 13 now he says, and you, and this is in Ephesus. This is not a Jewish city. This is in the middle of like Rome, Greek, just pagan, you know, territory here. Um, and he's writing letters to that church and the churches around him. He says, and you, you non-Jewish people, right? You were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. So the important point is this. This is important for us as well, because our world hasn't figured this out in like ever, okay? Never. In God's family, as we're all adopted sons and daughters, right? It is for all peoples in this world. So we can sit next to somebody who is not of our race or our ethnicity, but shares our faith and say, you're my brother. You are my sister. We are in unity beneath God. Look at history. History hasn't figured out how to do this together peacefully. Maybe for like brinks and seasons of time, maybe. But for most of history, we know that strife between people groups has been active every single century and decade since time began. And the church should be the place that says, no, 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 the gospel is breaking through those things because it is the message to unite all things in heaven and on earth. And right now, there should be a glimpse of that inside of the church. And how dare we find ourselves, often in church history, not 
doing that and not putting the effort to figure it out, but saying, no, let's make a church just for white people or just for, you know, Puerto Ricans, just for white, like, no, 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 like, let's figure this out. Like in Christ, we're all together. Can we not worship together and be a part of the same family here? Church, we're going to put effort towards that in the oncoming months and years. Because I read these words and I say, oh yeah, it's part of the gospel. We got to live this out, church, because it's part of the good news. And finally, as we close, all these glorious truths, we end with the promise that we have them all through the Holy Spirit who was given to us after Jesus ascended unto heaven. Jesus ascended to heaven and the Spirit descended down as our deposit or down payment. As if God is saying, all these wonderful things, I'm with you. I want you to hear me. He says, I'm giving you my spirit. It's like my stamp that says, I am never going to abandon you. And all the wonderful things that I said, they are going to be yours. And I will not take them away from you. You are guaranteed. It's like almost like God wrote us his will and signed it. And he said, you're, you're, this is never going to be void. This is yours. All right, we're going to close. Even though I don't want, I want to keep preaching. I'm all fired up this morning. That's all right. As we close, um, uh, what does all this mean for you and I? What does it mean for this church? What does it mean for us as a congregation, as Christians? Um, I have some important questions as we close here. Uh, first, I'm going to direct it towards Emmanuel. I know we're in a unique season here as a church. I want you guys to hear me out here. Emmanuel is just, we're just another local church in this area. We're full of people who are all in different places in their Christian lives, but nevertheless, all of us are here in this room a part of the Emmanuel family. As we take steps forward as a church, we must learn how to think of ourselves. Maybe even learn how to do this all over again. This is what I mean. When you hear the word Emmanuel Church, for those of you who have been here for, you know, a very long time or any length of time, I'm talking to you first, so to the, you know, uh, what do you think when you hear the word Emmanuel Church? What pops in your mind? God with us. Amen. Amen. And that's what things are going to be aiming for in the oncoming months. Thank you. Some things that we need to be careful of as we, as we think about this, okay? I know we're an old church, 150 years in the city of Wilmington, maybe top five, one of the oldest churches in the whole city. We have a beautiful building here. It's almost a landmark status in our, in our city. Uh, we're one of the few churches that if I go anywhere and they say, oh, you know, what do you do for, you know, for work? And I say, I'm a pastor of this church. Which church? And I said, the brick building on the corner of, oh, I know that building, right? Everybody knows this place around here. However, I need you to understand this. Nowhere in Ephesians 1 do we see anything about the church's story being that of a building or of a specific street corner or of its history or of its age. Those things have usage for, for sure in the work of God, but we, we didn't just read anything about those in Ephesians 1, right? Every church's story is far bigger than those things. We have to imprint this on our mind. It is far bigger than that. If we make it about anything else, like, oh, we have a really old church. We have this amazing facility. We have this, we have that. We're cheapening the story. We're cheapening what God is doing amongst us and what the church really is. We're cheapening that story if we only make it about those things. Our meaning and value is found in this, that we are the redeemed 
people of God in whom rests his very spirit, who is longing to use you to be his ambassadors. That is who the church is. And that is what we are as Emmanuel. I want that to be the very first thing that pops into your mind when you think, what is Emmanuel? It is a group of people full of the Spirit who are the ambassadors of the gospel to the city of Wilmington and to our neighbors. That is to be your first thoughts. Not images of a steeple or of a building. Those things are great and we appreciate them. You are God's ambassadors and that is who Emmanuel is. And I pray that we can continue to grow in the focus of those things. What does this mean for you and I as Christians? It means that if you think about yourself as only your story, I'm going to call worship team up uh, as we close here for our final song. I mean, it means this, so Ephesians 1, when you think about yourself and you say, well, and I, you know, I love sitting with you and just saying like, tell me your story. I've sat with most of you in this room and have done that. Um, I love hearing stories, Right? And, I, you know, my story, Daniel, born in a little, little town in the deep south in Georgia, you know, married 13 years. I have a bunch of kids. And just like anybody else, mixtures of good memories and hard memories and good times and bad times. I'm pushing through life one day, and one day I'll die, right? And then it'll all be over, and maybe the world will probably forget about me, right? And if, if that is the only way that I think about myself, again, we're cheapening the story, if you think of yourself like that, let me say what, once again, what Lady Wendy said to Peter in that movie. Don't you know who you are? Is that really the only story that you think about yourself? Is that really it? In Christ, you have been brought, you have been transferred, and Colossians says, you've been transferred into a new story. We've been transferred into a new kingdom. We've been brought into an even bigger story to where there's a story in the Old Testament to where, uh, you know, there was this big army about to invade and there was only a handful of people and there was just soldiers everywhere and, and this was Elisha and they were like, ah, we're surrounded by like one to like a thousand, like we're, we're dead. And he goes, no, 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 no. You don't see what I see. And he said, Lord, open up his eyes and they opened up his eyes and they saw the spiritual reality of just innumerable of God's soldiers that is going to defend them. Friends, your story is within that kind of thing. I'm asking you that God will open up your eyes to see all that we've seen today and say, wow, this is part of my story. Say, yes, it is. In Christ, it is part of your story. Don't cheapen your story by just thinking that you're just here, just living. Like, No, 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 you have a part to play in the grand work of history beneath God, and he is calling us to do that, church. This is what this means for us in this room. And that story began from the foundations of the world. Jesus has brought us to our daddy, and he will be his until the end. All by faith, all through grace, that is our new story. As we, choose, as we close, um, I want to invite you to respond this week to these things. I know we just went everywhere this morning. I preached for a long time. Thank you for sticking with me. We went everywhere this morning. A lot of things are in this chapter. And I pray that you wouldn't leave here without responding to this in your own heart. Like if, if, if you felt the stirrings of the Spirit, um, I, I want to call up th those. Um, we have some elders that are not here. Um, some of our elders will be available up front. Um, and uh, Carol, could you be available for prayer too? Can I put you on the spot? People will pray with you. Um, we're going to have people up here. 
come grab us and pray or grab the person next to you. Like don't, we, we encourage you every week for a reason not to leave without responding because ultimately you're not here to hear me talk or to hear Derek play piano. Like we're here to respond and to see and to experience Jesus himself and to respond to him this morning. That's what we're calling you to do this morning. So don't leave without responding to him this morning. If you're here and you're like, I don't really know if I'm a Christian, but the stuff you said just sounds amazing amazing, like I'm kind of interested at this point. Like, can I, like, how do I do this? How do I join the family here? All you have to do is just say, Jesus, I, I, I want you as my Lord and Savior, and I need you to wash away my sins. I want to give my life over to you, and I invite you to come up, and we would love to, to invite you and, and usher you in by God's grace to this new family, uh, even this morning. Let me pray. Jesus, we, we, we thank you for the good news, Lord. I, I just pray that the, the wonder of this news would just be real to us as a church. How dare we have a small view of you, God? I don't want a small view of you, Lord. I want to see you for who you really are. And Lord, I just feel like I probably couldn't even handle it if I did, Lord. Would you continually, just through your spirit, reveal yourself to us, Jesus. So when people met you and you were here, they never walked away the same. Lord, show us your glory as Moses cried out from that mountain, Lord. That we may know who we really are in you. Thank you for every person in this room for the work that you are doing in their life. And Lord, may they see your work more vividly. Would you in your grace just comfort them this morning into how to respond? If there's things that we need to turn from in our lives, Lord, that we know are there, just let's be reminded this morning that you have grace upon grace upon grace. That no matter what it is, that you are faithful and righteous to cleanse us and to forgive us because your blood has covered all of those sins. And Lord, that you have a better life that you want to pull us into by your Spirit's help. We love you, Jesus. I pray for this church, Lord. It is a unique season in our church's history. We know that. Lord, we pray for an empowerment of your Spirit to live these things out, Lord to truly be your hands and feet in the ways that is displaying these wonderful truths to all of those around us and to one another in this room. We love you, Jesus, so much. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your death. And thank you for your resurrection. And thank you for sending your spirit to us. We love you, Daddy. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's rise to our feet. In the darkness we were waiting, without hope, without light, till from heaven you came running. There was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and prophets To a virgin came the word 
throne of endless glory to a cradle in the 